Welcome to Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you'll hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources. I'm your host, Marilyn Germain. In this episode, Elena Armijo, founder of the C-Suite Collective, discusses how employers can attract and retain top-tier female talent by creating a workplace culture that supports and addresses women's needs. Welcome, Elena. Thank you so much for having me, Marie. It's so great to be here with you today. Elena Armijo is a professional opera singer turned professional certified coach. She is the founder of the C-Suite Collective, a one-stop shop that supports women in the workforce by providing resources to succeed from the inside out. She's also the host of the podcast In a Manner of Speaking with Elena Armijo. Elena, what steps can companies take to foster environments that are supportive of women? Well, I think there's a a couple steps that we can take. And the first place that I would have companies look at is starting with support. So what does actually support mean now for people, right? It's different than when we were talking about support two or three years ago before COVID happened. So I think the first thing to do is sit down and reevaluate what does support mean right now, which can be different things for different companies and different women. So places to look are, what is the individual approach that a woman might need? Do they need coaching? Do they need a therapy, you know, referrals? Do they need a nutritionist? Do they need community? Are they feeling alone right now? Those are some of the places that I would start the conversation is what does actual support look like? The second thing I would look at is balance. I think at this point, we all know that, that, that work-life balance is a myth. Uh, if we don't at this point, you know, I hope everybody welcome to the party. I like to say, because I think COVID really exposed that for a lot of people that it is a myth, but that doesn't mean that we can't create balance within our days. So as a company, that's a place to start is sit and talk with your women about what does balance look like for them? It's going to be different for every single person you talk to. So what resources do high-achieving women want to be happy and productive in their work? I think that some of the ones I just mentioned are good places to start. You know, I know companies that have done things like wellness days, you know, where they, they invite the entire company to show up, specifically women, and say, you know, let's all talk about our, our well-being in this space. And they'll bring in people like breathwork practitioners or um, yoga instructors or, or something like that. But I think that I would take a step back and I would actually look at what kind of culture do you want to cultivate with resources that would support on a more broad, holistic view? So what does that actually mean? It's like hire a coach for people. Does everybody get an individual private one-to-one coaching? Or are you, do you have groups of people within teams that have group coaching? partnerships with people like the mental health resources I just listed. I think those are all the resources where I would start. So let's talk about women job candidates. What step can they take to ensure that the company they're joining offers a supportive work environment? Well, one of the things I'm talking to most of my clients about right now, when they're all looking, you know, we're in a great job market environment right now. Every, everybody I'm talking to is getting, you know, five or six offers in their inbox every day around people that are interested in either poaching them from companies or having a conversation about what's next for them. So the good news is that we're all in a place now where you can really have detailed conversations with people before that 
maybe were a little bit taboo before we all, you know, had to work remote. So the the steps that I would say is as you're interviewing people, remember that you are also interviewing the company. So you get to ask questions, questions like, how will your company support my values? Do your personal values align with the company values? How does the company support balance for me? What if I need uh, resources or time off, or I need a little bit more flexibility in a hybrid model? So these are all questions that I think you can ask where most of us have been trained that when you're in an interview, there's not a lot of wiggle room for what you can ask. So I really would say I invite everybody to really push that line and ask about the things that are important to them. Some of my women will say things like, how does this work environment take care of marginalized people? How will I know that I'm safe in this community? What resources have you set up for your POC you know, conversations? So, so those, those are the things I would invite people to really take a look at bringing to the table during the interview process. You say that women's needs in the workplace differ from those of their male counterparts. Can you explain how? It's a little bit of a trick question, right, for me, because I don't actually believe that we have different needs, you know, males or females or even non-binary identifications. I think that what we're noticing is that, that women have maybe had more needs in the past and they just are the ones that surfaced first. That's my theory, at least, you know, because traditionally, again, this is a big stereotype, but women have had the burden of, you know, keeping the home or raising children and working and having a high powered career and being in a partnership and, and, and I'm not saying men haven't had the same thing because they do, but traditionally the, the figuring out of that puzzle has been on us. And we saw that last year, you know, when such a high number of women left the workforce because they just absolutely couldn't figure out the puzzle anymore. So my theory is that our needs aren't different, but that women's rose to the top quickly because that's where the responsibility fell automatically. What I've noticed now is that the same needs are arising in men. They're just sort of becoming more aware of what they need for the first time. Like most of the men I work with are like, wow, I need some, some more time and balance for my mental well-being. You know, I want to learn how to be an empathic leader, a compassionate leader. And so I need coaching or I need mental health resources. I don't know that they're, they're different. I just think we arrived to the, at them at separate times. Since we've talked about gender uh, differences and, and job candidates, what do you tell women who say, you know, they keep being paid less than men for equal work? And what advice do you give them? You know, that conversation is so interesting to me because most people approach it with, with the idea of, well, I need to go in and I need to fight for what I'm worth, or I'm not going to make that. So I might as well just accept that this is, this is where we're at, you know, in equality conversations with women. I have a little bit of a different approach for that. For me, I completely take that conversation off the table for a while. And I say to people who come my way, what do you actually want? Let's sit down and let's look at a number for your life, especially if we're talking about salary that will have you most enrolled in what you're creating and why you would take on a job. So we kind of take away all that noise for a minute and we create a number. And, you know, it's really interesting because when you get to a certain salary range, you notice that people just say numbers because they sound nice versus no, this number means something to me. And a specific example of this is like, 
you know, a woman who's currently making $300,000 a year, you know, says, no, I want to be at $600,000. And I'm like, okay, why do we want to be at $600,000? Well, because that's what I think I should be making. Okay. That's totally cool. But what does that number represent for you? And then sometimes through that conversation, we realize the difference between $300,000 and $600,000 is more based in a should conversation instead of what they actually want. You know, and, and again, it's not just money, right? We sit down and we look at everything. What kind of hours do you want to work? Where do you want to live? How much time remote do you want? What's your vacation like? What kind of teams do you want to lead? And what is the number that would make you feel um, secure, sourced, and able to focus on what you're developing? And then we create the number from that place. So to me, that's a great way to enter that conversation because now we're going to the market knowing what we want instead of trying to buck up against a system from a place of what we think we should be getting. And we're not even sure if we really want that. I think you have a great point because a lot of uh, people, not just women, think that a salary is the only thing they're going to get from an employer, but they forget very often the, the value of benefits that they get. And uh, so thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate it. You say that COVID exposed professional women's history of being overworked and under supported by the employers. Can you explain what you mean and give us an example? Yeah, I think it's what we were speaking to earlier uh, a little bit with, you know, this is exactly what happened when childcare went away. Like, let's just use childcare as one example. You know, we entered an environment pretty quickly where schools and daycares were shut down. Nannies or any extra help that you might have hired to be in your home was not, not available to you. And then we all had to figure out how to juggle, right? So it was like the house is here. Two partners typically, you know, whether you're in a partnership or not, are working from home and sharing spaces and you have no childcare. So half the time, you know, you're on Zoom calls and your two-year-old is climbing in your lap or the dog is running circles around you or, you know, whatever is happening. And I think for a while, we all tried to do it, <laughs> which, which, I, which I'm really proud of humanity for being like, here's my life, look at it, you know, and being super authentic and vulnerable about that. But then eventually it just became overwhelming and too much. And so some people were like, I'm out. I can't do this right now. I need to like recalibrate, rebalance and get my mental space in order again so I can figure out what's next and sort of survive this. I think a lot of women chose that. So when I say that it ex COVID exposed that, that's what I mean is we have structures that if, if we're privileged enough and lucky enough to have them set up, you know, then your life works. But the minute those structures are taken away, it crumbles instantly, right? And I don't think that as a society or as companies, we were talking about that. There was a lot of assumptions that that's just sort of handled and people have got it. So when we're talking about the larger picture of what COVID has exposed, I think there's a lot of room for empathy and kindness and compassion from employers to now have conversations of what do you actually need? And how can I support you, especially in the new, the new way of living, right? Because some of those structures we're not going to go back to. I think you're right. I, and I think it's even more obvious with perhaps the younger generation of workers, millennials and Gen Z. Would you agree? Yes, 100%. And I think the younger generation coming in, what I'm so excited about with the younger generation coming in is we've, we've got a generation now that is so focused on balance and well-being. It's at the forefront. 
they're the ones that are going to be leading and guiding what leadership looks like moving forward. And what I'm so excited about is they, they've lived it. So they have their eye on what does it mean to be more supported? What does it mean to have help and coaching and therapy services and taking care of your body in a way that we sort of thought was a luxury before and now is not a luxury, it's a necessity. And so imagine a whole group of leaders who are leading from that lens, you know, there's a lot of possibility and what could happen in the future. Right. And we know by 2025, 75% of the workforce in the U.S. will be millennials and younger. So employers can no longer just avoid that conversation with with their employees if they want to retain exceptional talent. I'm going to ask you a more personal question here. What prompted you to create the company, the C-Suite Collective? Tell us about that. Yeah, thank you for the question, uh, because this is this, it's exactly stemming from what we're talking about right now. There was, you know, a big gap in where we're headed with the next generation of leaders and what's available. You know, everybody had sort of kind of like, yeah, I've worked with a coach before, or yes, I've had a therapist at some point in my life, or yeah, I've tried Reiki once, (laughs) you know, those are, those are kind of the conversations of my generation. So what the reason I wanted to create this company is I firmly believe that if you have all these vetted, beautiful resources in one spot and you come to the C-suite collective and you say, all right, I'm a young millennial leader and I am all about making sure my company culture is moving to the wave of the future. And I want all of my leaders, my C-suite, my upper management to have all of these resources. And then we're going to get all my other people, those resources too, right? Imagine that if everybody is working with a coach at some capacity is exploring different healing modalities, and you know that you can come to one place to get some of those vetted relationships so that you're not out there in the world, piecing it together and trying different vendors and contractors within your company. No, you come to the C-suite, you work with us for a year and let's see what you can create in a year through that lens. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's why I created it is because I have a massive vision that we can bring some of these conversations about belonging and inclusion and compassion and empathy to the next level with support. How about we finish on a musical note? Elena, you were a professional opera singer. Turned, I was. <laughs> turned yeah. professional certified coach. Yeah. How did, you, how did you make that transition? And I think you're a great role model for women who are thinking of switching career. So tell us oh, about yeah. your, your particular case. You know, my particular case is, it's a classic case. You know, it's not anything special, which is why I, I share it. Because I think sometimes people think that it's hard to pivot or it's going to take so much. And here's what I know. I went through my career. I was a high-performing achiever, you know, that grew up in a town called Las Cruces, New Mexico. That's a small town for anybody who knows it. And I did, you know, the unthinkable. I became an opera singer, you know, and my family was like, I don't even, how is that going to be possible? And is that a real career? And can you make money at that? (laughs) You know, and it kind of led me through all the journeys that you go on with as you do music, you know, which was undergrad and a master's degree, and then a path to auditioning, and then all roads lead to New York. And then you're singing for companies and then you're touring. So I just stayed the course. And the thing is, I never intended to make music a business. I wasn't aware of my patterns at the time. And now that I've become a coach, I am. But at the time, everything was done to prove my worth in the world, right? Which is not surprising as a woman, you know, a Latin woman from a family, I'm the firstborn, 
And, you know, my, my biggest thing was I need to prove that I can be successful in the world because I'd seen my family model that if you worked hard, you were safe, loved and respected. I created an entire career on that model. And then I could see where I was going. And I got to this point in my career was like, okay, I can continue this for the next 20 or 30 years. And I know that I'll be successful, but I'm not happy. I'm lonely. I'm missing a bunch of important events in my family and friends' lives. And honestly, I think I was on like the third failed relationship in two years. And I just was like, I don't, I don't know that I want this life. And I had a lot of guilt because I was supposed to want this life in my mind, right? Nobody was telling me that, but that's how I felt. And so I hired a coach myself and quickly realized how I'd built my career and what it was built on, the foundation that I built it on. And um, did a lot of work to let go of some of those limiting beliefs and stories about my worth. And in the process, fell in love with coaching. And that's the other thing. I'd always on my journey, like been on the lookout for, well, what else would I do if I didn't do music? And what do I love? And I could never find anything that I loved. And so when I entered the coaching world, I thought, oh, wow, this is something that I love just as much as music, but I know I want to build a business in this. And that way I can do music part-time for the love of my heart which is really what I, you know, how I want to experience music. So that's how I pivoted. That's what I created. That was eight years ago. And ever since I haven't looked back with my company and, and what we've built as teams in, in my world. And the funny thing is, I often ask myself, if I could go back and do that career again, would I do it? And knowing what I know now, I might, because I might have a completely different experience of that career than I did, you know, not being aware of my own stuff. Thank you, Alina, for your insights on how employers can attract and retain top-tier female talent by creating a workplace culture that supports women's needs. Thank you so much, Marie, for having me, and thanks for the work you're doing to serve women in the world. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you will hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources.